The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Welcome to The Data Chief. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. Finding insights in your company's data doesn't have to be complicated. All you need is search. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Hi, data enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of The Data Chief. Today, we're delving into the world of data leadership with the true luminary, Nisha Polyval, as the Managing VP of Enterprise Data Technology at Capital One. Nisha has been shaping the tech strategy for almost a decade, but she's not only a technical executive, she's a dreamer and a visionary technologist on a mission. Beyond her impressive career, she champions STEM education for young girls through nonprofits like Boolean Girls, Code VA, and Wings for Growth. She also is a voracious reader with a book of her own on the way that we'll also talk about in this episode and a driving force for human-centered thinking in tech. A huge welcome, Nisha, on the Data Chief. It's so good to have you here. Thank you, Cindy. What an honor to be with you today. And where are you joining us from today? I'm in my basement, McLean, Virginia. It's very cold, icy, and schools are closed. Ah, yes. Uh, uh, finally, the snow. It came a little later. And so I left, I left the Northeast. I'm doing this podcast from Savannah, Georgia, kind of escaping. It'll get chilly, but no snow down here, Nisha. It's Savannah is so beautiful. I'm jealous, sort of. Come join me anytime. I'm going to be down here more. So Nisha, we do share, we both have daughters in STEM, but I believe your daughter, your two daughters, one of them now 14, is a Databricks user and actually had started working with AWS from the age of six. Did I get that right? Yeah, so we were fortunate. I've been working for Capital One for... This, I guess, June will be nine years, minus five months, but that's a different day story. So Yashvi, the younger one, I took her to bring your daughter's day at Capital One at age six. And she got interested in the computer science and she has been since then non-stoppable. She's Python, she's done Snowflake. Recently, I had a chance to go to Databricks conference. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I think very few daughters can claim that bragging right. And I would imagine that you brought her to work at such an early age. It has inspired her. You were a role model. How do you see technology impacting the younger generations? And what can data leaders do to influence them more positively? Yeah, fascinating question because as a mother, of course, I roll into that with both kids. The elder one is 19. And, you know, growing up in India, I never had these gadgets at that early age. And here it's like by the time they, but it's good, right? They have the cell phone at a very early age. I don't know about you, but I gave them, I think, cell phone at age 10 or 11, right? Because they used to walk from school to home and having something to track them and making sure they are safe was a big reason of that support. But then fast forward, right? Like 
their lives are so into the social media and there are kind of scary stories, right? Like I was driving three girls age, I think 13, 14 the other day from school and they were all talking about how they are being stalked on social media and stuff, which is the scary. But the good part is, you know, like we were talking of the younger one is 14 now. She makes use of tech like I've never been able to imagine like, like that would be. And of course, uh, all the way from AI tutors these days available, education industry is being disrupted as we speak, right, on what is possible through technology. I think from a data perspective, one of the biggest topic on my mind, Cindy, has been data ethics, like making sure she knows, not only she, right, my, most of my nonprofit work is around this area as well, is making sure they're educated on all the cyber threat and data and what they are giving consent to. Because these days, right, the consent is just on phone. Like we were talking the other day, iPhone, right? If you have to update an iPhone, they give you a consent screen, but they never follow up, right? Like consent is only one way. Otherwise, because if you didn't give a consent, it won't upgrade and it becomes a brick after that, right? Um, yeah. So just making sure that she learns along with me. I'm also, you know, learning every day, the data ethics part, the consent part, because younger they are, I don't think they realize what all is possible if the data gets uh, proliferated the way it does. So making sure they understand that and making sure, you know, as a parent, I'm constantly teaching them the stuff that they need to know. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure Yashvi will be thrilled to hear you talking about her. I feel like we have to say Anya's name as well so that they get mutual airtime, at least. That's great. And I, I want to move a little bit to you have a unique leadership style. You managed, or or I don't even like the word manage, you lead a large team, I believe over 500 at Capital One. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But you've spoken about having an ABC framework for leadership. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I've been fortunate for 13 plus months, the team has been growing. Data is the king these days. So we have a lot of investment in data. So we have about 1000 plus people. But yeah, I think it's reversed for me. I'm here to serve them and I'm here to serve the organization. I'm here to serve our product and, you know, the leaders who care for what we build in tech. Just a little bit before ABC, Anya is my inspiration. We can talk all day about Anya, but you asked a specific <laughs> question, so I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go there. So ABC is authenticity, bold, and courageous. Authenticity is very, very critical for me. Cindy has been, right? I came to this country in 98 and not realizing the life I left in India to come to this country. I was actually very poor. In 98, I had $8 in my pocket. We always, you know, thank for what we had then and where we are now, right? Very, very thankful. But being authentic is like being very truthful about who I am. In fact, I don't know if you can tell on camera, I never even wear makeup for that matter. I've worn makeup in my life one time. So believing in like, hey, it is whatever it is, let's just be, you know, be who we are and, and bring the best in others too, right? So all the people who I work with, be bringing their best selves to work and being comfortable in whoever you want to be. Bold is the part like, um, if you didn't know my first name, last name, Cindy, you would know me as a change agent. I'm a change agent and that's my first name and last name at work too. I'm very courageous about bringing, challenging the status quo and bringing, you know, things that maybe have not been talked about and just making better lives around 
for our customers, life for our employees, life for, you know, every day what we do. So that's how, you know, I lead and that's how, you know, making sure I create an environment where others can thrive too. Yeah. And I think that's such a great framework. Nisha, I'm picturing you 25, 26 years ago, $8 in your pocket, a new country. So you are very courageous as an individual, let's say. That sounds very bold as well. How did you get started in tech? Oh, yeah. So I told you change agent is the name, right? So I was master's in microbiology years ago. I had to go live in this place in Rajasthan called Jaipur to keep my mom She's an asthmic patient, so she had to move from a humid climate to dry climate because my dad was posted in this humid climate, Calcutta. Anyway, so he bought a house in Jaipur, which is where he asked one of our sisters, like we two sisters, to go and live with mom. So I was the one who just finished in master's microbiology. And I was the one who went there, not realizing Jaipur did not have anything to do with microbiology. So the choice was, you know, do something non-microbiology. And one of my senior, fortunately, had a computer institute at that time in, in Jaipur. So I joined her as a receptionist, believe it or not. <laughs> and of course, not too long, I could do the receptionist job and started learning C++ with her. Then we had our own company, accounting software of all things. Grew up into, you know, liking tech a lot, coding actually. So I'm an introvert. So I love stuff, you know, which you give me in my closet and I'll do it all day long. <laughs> So that's what I love doing. But fast forward, I came to this country in 98 and retried microbiology. Nobody would do my paperwork. So the sponsorship was very hard. And so re-entered technology, SQL Server 6.5, dating myself now, but 6.5. And now every year, you know, it's new tech, new, new learnings, new, like, this is a constant work for me. So just 18 months ago, I picked up artificial intelligence as a topic to learn. And yeah, tech is always evolving. So you have to just keep learning. For sure. I see that the best leaders in our space are continuous learners. And don't give me this, you're dating yourself with SQL Server 6.5. I go back to DBase 3 before even SQL Server existed. So I can really date myself if I want. So Nisha, I'm, I'm thinking about where you were then and where you are now leading this team of over a thousand at Capital One. And you combine this results-driven leadership and empathy and the ABC framework. How do you balance these two? When I think of anything we do in tech, which again, Capital One has been nine years, I've had multiple roles at Capital One. At the crux of it is two things, right? And, and actually both those things lead to humanity. One is customer. Who are we doing anything for? What is the why behind anything we are building? What's the value that the customer will get? Which again, on the other side is, at least today, it's all humans. We can say we use gadgets to do many things, including you know, banking and many other things. But at the end of the day, it's humans who are operating, right? So customers are humans. And then on inside the company, it's um, our employees, our associates, right? Again, what they can contribute to, what are they learning? What is the need of the day? How do we build that skill set and the talent that is needed to constantly evolve, right? Because ever-changing world of tech, if anything, it has taught us that you have, like you said, constant learning is a thing, right? 
So challenging that and constantly being on the lookout for what's new and how do we upskill while delivering that business value and making sure along the way we constantly evaluate how people are uh, feeling in that journey, right? So that's those combination of things is constantly I central myself. In fact, the example I was giving you, I opened my own company, which was an accounting software many, many years ago. By the way, it was a total failure. I didn't tell you that. Oh. Yeah. And and what did I learn from it is because it was built in closet, it wasn't built with customer in the mind. And that was early on. And now every day I talk about who's the customer, what's the value? Can we make sure we are delivering the value, right? So I think these carrying on these learnings and making sure we continuously improve on them is is the thing. It is. And you know, not many people are willing to talk about their failures. So I think this is your authentic self again coming through. If we think about that failure and that moment in time, how quickly could you bring yourself back out of that and just say, okay, I learned it didn't work. I'm going to experiment and move on. Or how difficult was that time period? Yeah. So two things happened at that time. We were fortunate because one of Leather manufacturing company in Jaipur bought us, actually. But we were department of two, so we had to go fix the software now, of course, which was not working. So that was the positive thing because, you know, we didn't sail into that failure for a very long. However, there was a part working for, pardon me for saying this, but very conservative folks back then, that had put a dent in my neuro, I guess, balance for a very long time. So there are things that happened there which took me a long time to recover. It was not the failure of the company, but the failure of the, you know, an employee who's just starting a career and how, you know, I was treated early on. That did have a very, almost like a decade impact, Cindy, on me, but I've recovered. I'm doing okay. Yes, clearly you have recovered and I'm sorry that it lasted that long. I think that was also the state of let's say the tech industry overlaid with some cultural differences. So I'm glad, we're all glad that you you didn't give up and you, and you learned from that. So let's move forward to more recently. So about a year and a half ago, you expanded your scope for AI now. And just this week, the International Monetary Fund stated that almost 40% of jobs around the world or up to 60% in more mature economies will be impacted by AI. Some positively, their jobs will get more fun, will get away from the boring, repetitive work, and some negatively if they are not continuous learners. So where do you see the future of work and how can both leaders and individuals prepare for this? Yeah, staggering, staggering stats. Thank you for sharing, Cindy. Yeah, the reality is anytime we talk of any revolution or transformation of a sort and humankind, right? I mean, you talked about how I read a lot. Yuval Harari, if you haven't read his books, right? He talks about the evolution. I think he's the only one who's challenging us into you know, the creativity part of the humans that is left in us and how do we use the maximum of it. Of course, the speed at which we are going is much faster than anything we have seen in the humankind, right? The time to market to these technologies is shortening and shortening. I think as a leader, one of the biggest thing for me is 
making sure we are doing everything right and testing and making, giving it enough time to mature is a big part. Like technology like AI, for example, right? A lot of data gets fed into it, which is my big role, of course. Making sure like we do everything for data right along the journey, making sure, you know, we have all the controls, the governance that is needed and calling out those things in the in given projects. Like we have multiple projects, of course, running at the same time. So making sure all that is happening, letting it bake, letting it mature, having a feedback loop into, you know, when, when things we see, how do we fix it faster? Because again, the time to market is very, very short. And then on the other side of it, it's really how do we unleash the creativity from all humans? You know, for example, I'm I'm actually talking to a, a cardiologist in UK who has used data, actually believe it or not, EKG data to start predicting medicines for cardio patients. By the way, this was a three-year research. It's already in mainstream in UK and they are saving lives like crazy. What did they use? They used AI to predict what's happening in the human body. And like the creativity part of what we can do now, we have unleashed all this. Another great example is my Anya, who uh, has suffered from a disease called Crohn's disease for many, many years. And I have researched many things on Crohn's, right? One of the most fascinating research is actually driven by AI. They are looking at antibiotics and studying how maybe antibiotics could evolve based on the genetic makeup of the individual, in this case, of course, Anya. I don't know how far that is to get to the mainstream in the United States, but I mean, stuff like that, Cindy, just the creativity of what we can do with these things is just humongous. So while, yeah, I think those stats that you mentioned could be like certain types of jobs, which might be mundane jobs or things that can automate it, I'm looking at like things that require us so much data that human mind can't even process, right? I think some of those could be fascinating times to see. And again, I just took two examples. You read endless possibility of what this technology can bring to humanity. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that you took two healthcare examples, even though you're working in financial services, because I also have a personal passion for healthcare. And you look in the UK, healthcare is very different. The US, we have such a shortage of doctors and nurses. And the idea of identifying these diseases earlier before a patient is having the symptoms is definitely a role that AI has to play here. You mentioned the data side, the privacy the ethics as well. And this is where some people are quite afraid leveraging AI. They're taking a wait and see approach because they think the risks are too great. What do you think are some of the mitigation strategies or how do we get people comfortable with this to be able to get to all the value? I think for AI might not be for everybody to start with. I think it's okay to wait and watch. I think it's okay to let it bake because again, these things are not cheap either, right? These require a lot of investment upfront. In fact, the book that I have, which we haven't talked yet, but I'll start mentioning, the book that has been I've been part of with two other co-authors, The Secrets of AI Value Creation, actually starts with understanding the real vision and real reason behind any of these tech 
today it is AI. I think a year before it was cloud, could be something else in near future. I think it starts with having a real vision of where you want to take your businesses or nonprofits or whatever you're working in and having that clarity of thought of what am I going after? And Simon Sinek says this often, why I'm going after that has to be very, very clear, right? And in your head. And once you have the vision, then the the book also describes a framework of how do you strategize around it. it we have taken many, many examples, Cindy, in the book to describe how many companies have thought through and because it's a rinse repeat process of having a vision, strategizing around you know your vision, making sure you learn from these companies. I mean, we have cited so many companies in the book of the research, of course, we did all the way from United States to Germany to many other places, right? And then how do you then go buy, build all of these things, right? In AI, of course, there's data, there's models, there's GPU, many, many things get involved in it. And then, of course, final is the execution and the adoption part of it. Because like we talked about the healthcare, right? Telling everybody to adopt, you know, a medicine that is being recommended by AI. I cannot fathom, like if I tell my mom, what will she tell me? Like the first thing probably would be, I don't know, is it safe enough, right? That will be the first reaction, right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I, I, I think adoption will be another thing to get it in the mainstream. And we'll have to find out industry by industry, example by example, how fast you can take to, you already said UK, US laws are different. I was talking to Dr. Mihir, whom I'm bringing to my all hands as well. He's like, how long did it take? He said three years, but it is in mainstream now, right? So it will take a lot of time to get baked into these examples and get them in the mainstream. But if the examples are simpler and they can get into mainstream, that might be another use case. But this framework is what I have in my mind today. I think everybody should follow that framework. Of course, everybody should read the book. Uh, why not? Yes. <laughs> but, yes. But that's coming out soon, any day now, I think, depending on what, when we release this episode. So I do think your framework also of starting with the purpose or the business value rather than the technology is a very important one. You also mentioned this by Build Execute. It feels like in the generative AI, the LLM world, it's also more about assembling and you will take different approaches for different components. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think all those are fair, right? That's part of the architecture, right? So in, in the four part framework that I have, the vision, the strategy, the architecture execution, I think it's in the architecture. You decide all those things, right? What do you have to buy? What do you have to build? How do you assemble? What do you do with those pieces of things that you need? including data, which is, again, a huge part of how these things will have to come together. Because data is also like companies have to figure out, do they have the context and the data? Or do they buy that data? Like, what do they do with the data? I think most companies, I was reading somebody's HBR article just yesterday, and they talked about how 23 was generative AI year, and now 24 is becoming a data year. Because everybody is trying to figure out, like, where is the data for all these things that have to be fed into? I think depending on where the company's maturity is on these topics, they'll have to figure out what is the first step. In fact, I was just talking to somebody at, not somebody, the co-author of this book, Michael, who's a data scientist at the University of Maryland Global Campus. And we were talking exactly on this topic, is which step comes first? Because 
if the data is not there or data is in too much legacy stack that they can't even reap the value, what is the value of bringing you know companies like Databricks or ThoughtSpot? I think that's what they are. Everybody is figuring out is what is the first step into the architecture. Yeah, and and I would say it's both. Well, of course, I love that this is the year of data. We would say it's the defining decade of data. You can't do AI with data, and you can't do AI with good, complete, trustworthy data that is then irresponsible and dangerous. So I often say, do you take ideally a top-down approach? What's your vision? What's your business strategy? versus bottoms up, we have some data, can we do anything useful with it? But really you have to meet in the middle because the data may not be available, it may not be complete, but AI now with synthetic data might be able to solve that. Nisha, you've mentioned your co-authors and the book, which we will link to in the show notes. I also understand that you took slightly different approach in authoring this, having so many co-authors and crowdsourcing some of the content. Tell us a little bit more about why you took that approach. Yeah, that's definitely a very proud uh, topic for me, Cindy. So for years, I have been in the tech industry. One of the things, so call me software engineer, architect, data engineer, give me a name, doesn't matter. As I have built these things, one thing I have realized, and this was like early on learning, that I do not like building stuff that others have already built. So how do I go figure out who has built what and use it if I have to? And in, to your earlier word, integrate that into what I'm doing. And of course, fast forward, open source became such a big thing. That's how we collaborate on many of the technologies, right? And of course, open source is a huge, huge community outside. And Capital One, we believe in open source too, quite a bit. We contribute very heavily to open source. So I said to my authors when we were in the writing phase, after a few, actually after 250 pages of the book, that, hey, what if we bring a practical expertise from the industry and find a couple of people who might have time to read these chapters and actually pour in their industry expertise? Because it's one thing for me to say, oh, Cindy, go apply this framework. It's other thing to say, oh, look, I have been in this company. I've already applied this part. So what we did is so unique. Every chapter ends with the contributor. So there are 14 chapters, 14 contributors. Every chapter ends with the contributor's intel from the market. And by the way, these are all from varied industry, varied rules. It's not all tech. It's not all model build or anything. It's all over the place. So it makes a very unique read when you read, okay, this is the framework you're talking about. And then let me see how practically somebody has applied. It was just phenomenal to get that contribution. And I'm so, so thankful for all of them to say yes from different parts of the world and different industries. So you will see, hopefully it is beneficial. And again, this topic, I will admit, is not going to end here. Of course not. We're so early in this. We are so early. So that is a calling I have, a calling of collaboration. Of course, no companies will want to share their IPs. That's not the point of collaboration. The point of collaboration is how do we make each other, which is humanity, better than where we are today, right? And I think that sharing, caring is elementary, like we teach that in the elementary schools, but somewhere as we grow up, we kind of forget that. So that's the bigger thing for me is how do we call to action on collaboration on this topic? 
Oh, wonderful. We, of course, we look forward to reading it. Maybe if you're willing to give us a preview or a teaser in having these 14 experts comment on each chapter, was there any one that really surprised you or you were like, wow, I didn't think of that or, oh, I need to debate this with that person. Yeah, actually, I've started doing videos. I just did two videos on LinkedIn. I was talking to Paul uh, just last, and then so Karun talked about data as products, if you see my LinkedIn post. And it's fascinating how he's tied the Bucks NBA data as product work to actual value. I think that is the missing link most people are not thinking is like, there's definitely this application, of course, AI, which is the further end, but the, how he has built those data products and then how he's tying it to the value. That was a affirmation of a sort, right? Yeah, that's the way to think about it. And then templatizing that for all of us could be such a fascinating part. And then Paul is now taking all that knowledge and applying it to commercial real estate. I've also finished the HP CDO, but he's not released it yet, so I can't talk about it yet. Okay. That's coming next on the... So I'm doing these uh, smaller clips for the audience in the community so they can start seeing like if there is value for them to, to pick this framework. Yeah. And I love it when our universities come together, or sometimes I call it the analytics and AI fishbowl, because you're referring to other people that have either been on the Data Chief podcast, their teams the Milwaukee Bucks or will soon be or organizations that I have been blessed to work with as well. Nisha, we've talked a lot about your industry work, your career journey. Let's pivot a little bit to Capital One. And Capital One is a role model for many because there's so many firsts. As far as I know, the first CDO in the world the first major financial institution to truly move your data to the cloud, and now also a solution provider with Slingshot. What is the force or the culture or the secret ingredient behind all these firsts? <laughs> That's a fascinating question. Actually, believe it or not, Cindy, I do a lot of interviews, as you can imagine, for, for our exec ranks. And many ask me that question, right? And my first response actually is, this company has a heart. So top down in this company is just amazing to see how much heart is there. People lead with a lot of that same type of questions you were asking, empathy. And, and frankly, that's the reason I came back to this company after five months of my detour. You know, I, I, I believe in where there is heart, the mind automatically continues to you know, evolve into whatever is the next, right? We believe in strategizing around, you know, what is upcoming in the market, what is next, and of course, doing best for our 100 million customers, right? I told you how we think, right? Customer first, and all the people who are banking on us to make sure we make banking easy and trustworthy and all that good stuff. We, we work backwards from, of course, a lot of that thinking. Then in our tech strategy, we are always looking for what's the next big lever that we can have, like whether it was cloud, now of course, you know, different trends are trending. So what is happening and how do we bring the best in? And that's a constant work, which really makes it a winning proposition. Think about it, heart and all that combined, it's a winning proposition. 
Yeah, heart and and as you're talking about this, I think imagination yes. that you discussed earlier, imagining a new way of working. Well, Nisha, we've covered a lot of ground. I'm going to move ahead to a lightning round. So favorite activity when you are not working with data? Watching action movies. Ah, give us your favorite action movie. I don't know anything. Just Bruce Willis, pick one. <laughs> They'll send <Okay>. it. <laughs> Die Hard, the Die Hard series. Yes, that's that's a classic one. Favorite leadership trait in a team member? I would say learning somewhere. Like learning comes top of my list is curiosity and learning. So those who have that attitude, I think they can pick up pretty much any topic and go with it. So those two would be the top of the list. Good. Fill in the blank. Data is? <laughs> so many. So we before I fill in the blanks, we did a So What data series recently in my, <laughs> in my, and we brought in all the senior leaders to talk about exactly that data is. So we got so many fun answers all the way from data is air, data is radioactive materials, data is liquid that flows. So you pick any of <laughs> Radioactive material. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I feel like data is um data is king, data is queen. I think uh, maybe maybe data is queen because I <laughs> Yeah. I like it. Let's go with that. Data is queen. A- how about generative AI is? Hyper automation. Good. Are there any particular you've mentioned a few books already and other thought leaders? But any other mentors that have inspired you throughout your career? Actually, I've been fortunate. All my managers in this country have been great mentors. Rod Rapp was the first one, Keith Randazzo in Bank of America, Diane Lai, Mark Matheson in Capital One. They're, all my managers have been great mentors. I've been fortunate because I always used to think like being a manager, being a mentor, being a coach, being a sponsor are all different things until these people came along because I felt like they brought everything that I ever needed in my career. Those have been people I still count on, give the call whenever I need to. Yeah, that's wonderful that you have so many. How about a song that pumps you up after a hard day? I'm at the top of the mountain. Have you heard it? I don't know. Who's it by? Who sings it? I can't tell you that. I'm top. Okay. We're, we'll link to it. And we have a Data Chief playlist, too. It's quite an eclectic list. How about one item that you could not possibly live without? Maybe my jacket these days. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's very practical. Is there a data leader that you would most like to hear from on the Data Chief? So I don't know if I know the name, but there is a group, Cindy, out there who's working on this problem that has fascinated me since I've taken this role. They are working on storing data on DNA. You have to go research and find out who's doing it. I believe it's where either IBM or Microsoft, you may find them. Because, you know, I think it was last year or before last year, Amazon CEO said this on stage that it will take us 40% of world economy to pay for all this data compute and storage yeah, collecting. So since then, I've been researching like, okay, how are people going to store all this data that we are talking about? We don't have the assets to pay 40% world economies. Right, right. So we to figure that that takes out. a lot of data. So you'll have to but, figure uh, that out and tell me who it is and hopefully I'll connect with them too. Okay, sounds good. One final one. 
If you think in the moment beyond maybe the obvious of health and family, what are you most grateful for? Uh, frankly, the book coming out, it's the 14 contributors, the co-authors, and really people like you who are promoting it too. I did not write the book for any financial gains or anything. It was a love of learning and love of collaboration. So I'm hoping people will get benefit out of it. But I'm really, really thankful to you for doing this podcast, mentioning the book, and of course, to the contributors and the co-authors. Yeah, and we are thankful that you wrote the book and for being on the Data Chief podcast. It's been wonderful having you here, Nisha. Thank you so much, Cindy. It was my pleasure and have a wonderful time in Salvana. Thank you.